already we've, we've heard so much uh, in the, the time of, of worship, and it's uh, quite wonderful when uh, everything comes together in, in the Word of God. Uh, God is speaking by His Spirit through this one and that one and through our times of worship. You know, we've been going through a, a series of, of, teach, uh, of teachings of a, uh, over recent weeks. Uh, we started with uh, caring and uh, this, the, the Good Samaritan, and then last week, loving. And this week, we're talking about journeying. And as we were worshipping, it became so clear to me that if we're going to journey with one another, encourage one another, then we have nothing to give unless we're journeying with God. Unless we're intimate with God, we're spending time with him, praying and worshipping him, spending time in his word, and just those times where we just connect with God in a, uh, a very real way. If that isn't happening in our walk with him, and I don't know about you, I feel pretty empty. I feel there's nothing in me to give to anybody else. But when we connect with God and his spirit, and we're hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying, it seems that everything just goes with a flow, <laughs> that God brings those people alongside us who we just need to be speaking to. He gives us the words that we need to say and to minister into people's lives. You see, when Jesus is walking with us, he brings comfort and consolation to us. And as the scriptures say, and we'll be looking at soon, that we're able to give of what we've received to others as well. And this is the walk. It's, it's, uh, it sounds so simple. Oh, but oh, we get it so wrong so many times because we allow ourselves to wander away and to, to miss what God is saying. We perhaps forget that Jesus is right here with us. I'll never leave you, he said. I'll never forsake you. He's right here now and speaking into all of our lives. But we miss it. We carry on our way, our own plans, our own ideas. But God wants us to realize, even today, that he is right here. He's speaking to us. And he wants us, once again, to connect with what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Let's just pray and give this time to, to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your presence with us. I thank you that you are the one who draws alongside our counselor. Lord, you're our source. You're our everything. We thank you for that wonderful name of Jesus, as we heard earlier as well. There's no greater name than your wonderful name. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence with us today. And we ask you, Lord, as we just uh, lay our hearts before you, open our hearts now to hear what your spirit is saying. Lord, we just give ourselves now and ask you, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Jill, would you read our passage to us? Right, it's um, Luke 24, starting at verse 13. <clears throat> and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. 
one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women who also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognised by them in the breaking of bread. Thanks, John. We've all been on journeys, and perhaps on the way out, expectation, some, something you were going to an event, or uh, perhaps you were part of a team. And as I was thinking about this, I just want you to go on a journey. You, you've traveled hundreds of miles. It's the biggest event of the year, and your seasons come to this defining moment. History is in the making. And you know it's probably the last opportunity that you'll have to su su uh, succeed in this way. Expectation was at fever pitch on the way, but now you're on your way home. The long journey home so different. The hope and expectation you had on the way is now gone. Now it's over. You were defeated, totally outclassed, outflanked, and embarrassed at your performance. All the pre-match rhetoric now feels so hollow. Your heads are hung low, and you begin the forensic examination of all that went wrong. The emotions and the feelings we experience when we lose a game soon fade and they're gone and life goes on as usual, doesn't it? 
We've all experienced it when, uh, what it feels like to lose. But there are some losses that affect us so deeply that even when our lives move on, and these experiences stay with us for the, ver- for the remainder of our journey. And when Luke describes to us the account of the two disciples on their way home from Jerusalem, and as they're walking along the Emmaus Road, we're invited into their story, their dreams and expectations just shattered. And in their place, disappointment and confusion. They knew the man, they experienced his ministry, they believed the scriptures about him, and yet the fact remained he was dead. And the body was missing. Their heads were just hung so low. And Jesus draws alongside and starts to walk with them. He journeys together with them in their despair and in their loss, in their confusion. He comes alongside. Now we don't hear the whole conversation. But we hear enough to know how Jesus chooses to walk with his disciples. And we understand from this story also how we might be able to walk with others on their journey as well. We see how their hearts respond, and we get to hear how their eyes are open to this new reality, a revelation that Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. You know, when Peter thought he had blown it, and that uh, it was all over for him. He said to the others, I'm going fishing. And he went back to his old way of life. He went back to fishing what he knew, what was predictable and what was comfortable. And the disciples on the Emmaus Road appeared to be doing much the same thing. It's all over. Let's just try and get on with life. Let's just get on with reality now. Think just for a moment about your own life. What would be left for you if Jesus wasn't real? If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if our hope in Jesus was completely taken away, where would we be? What utter emptiness and confusion and loss. I don't know how I'd feel. Utterly gutted. To the very core of my being, there would be an emptiness that I just couldn't put into words. Remove Jesus. And we have to fill our lives with something else. We settle into our own lives. We create our own vision. We live for what we can make of it all. And you know, this is the way of some people who are disillusioned. Perhaps they've grown a bit sort of skeptical or perhaps just turned away somehow or gone cold. So what happens? The drift back to the old way of life. Fill your life with something else. Now, if anyone's seen the film The Truman Show, the world appears to be gripped with the life of one man. And they watched his birth, they followed his daily routine for years. Eventually, Truman discovers that 
His whole life has been a fabrication for a TV show, uh, a broadcast that's gone over the whole world. And he gradually gets wind of what's going on. But at the end of his life, he takes a bow and he leaves. And to everyone's shock, the program is over and the TV screens go fuzzy. And in that moment, everyone's staring at their screens in, in disbelief. What's happened? What next? But then what they do is they just switch on another channel and off they go. Life begins again and, you know, it's all over. But the reality is that everything had changed for the disciples in the most glorious way, but they just didn't know it yet. I heard a phrase used just yesterday about Brexit. Sorry for, for using that word again. It's a dirty word, I know. And the person said, nothing's different, but everything's changed. You see, in that moment of time, for those disciples, everything had changed, but for them, nothing was different. Well, it was in one sense, because clearly they'd lost the most precious person in their life. We know that Jesus wanted his disciples somewhere. If we read on in the story, read on in the account, we know where Jesus wanted those disciples. He wanted them in Jerusalem. He wanted them to receive a baptism of fire. But where were they? They were heading for home. They were moving away from, rather than towards what Jesus had for them. But Jesus, he didn't want them to to go off into the wilderness. He wanted them to come back into his purpose, into his plan, into his calling. Now, they didn't realize that. So the good shepherd, he draws alongside them and he brings back his wandering sheep. This is what he does. He draws us back to his purpose, to his plan, to his calling. He wants you and he wants me to be in the very center of his will and to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus get his, uh, his disciples on, on, back on track? He walked with them. He did what he'd always done. He traveled together with them, joining them on life's journey and entered into their world. And by the end of the day, the disciples were running back to Jerusalem. I want to cover three points. The first one, we're all on a journey traveling through life. The second is going to be how we connect with other people's story. And then thirdly, how we bring the bigger story to people as we walk with them as well. You know, Jesus continually journeyed with people. He traveled from one town and village to another. He uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God from Jerusalem to uh, uh, Galilee, Capernaum, and he encouraged people uh, along the way. You remember Nicodemus and uh, Zacchaeus and the woman at the well. And when he did, he stopped to get alongside these people, and they opened up their lives to him. In 1 Peter 1 verse 18, in the message translation, it puts it like this. It says, your life is a journey you must travel in deep consciousness of God. 
deep consciousness of God and his spirit in our lives. We soon go cold when we wander away. But we just need to continue to, to spend time with him and to fellowship with him and to draw close and near to him. And he draws close to us. In that scripture verse, when you look it up in this more literal translation, what it actually teaches us is that there's an empty way of life. There's a path or journey without God uh, that it says our forefathers have passed down to us. And, uh, and it has a particularly disappointing end. And that's an understatement. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, which is an, an uh, allegory of uh, the journey of life and its struggles, it uh, shows us how we uh, don't need to face those struggles alone. But we have others who can be, if you like, the consciousness of God who draw alongside and together encouraging one another in the journey of life along the way. And the journey has its challenges, doesn't it? In uh, Job 5 verse 7, it says that man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. It's a fact of life that we face troubles and difficulties. But in Hosea 2.15, it says, I will make the valley of Achor, or trouble, a door of hope. Christ has opened a door of hope to us. And we can open a door of hope to others as well. Joining someone else's journey. Uh, giving them the hope that we ourselves have received. Our key verse in this series of teachings is, is 2 Corinthians and 1 verse 4, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The message translation puts it, again, just slightly differently. It says, God comes alongside us in our hard times. And when he does, he gives us something, deposits something in us to use in coming alongside someone else in their journey. Isn't that wonderful? God deposits something in us in our struggles and in our journey. And we all go through troubles. In church, we have a gift and we talk a lot about the gifts, don't we, of the Holy Spirit and personal gifts and natural gifts that we have. But there's also another gift, a neglected gift, quite overlooked. And in the church, it's the gift that we bring each week and we also take home each week. It's the gift of the transformed life, the resource that God's formed in us by his Holy Spirit events and circumstances that we've faced and that through them we've found strength in God. People who perhaps have been through a painful divorce, a bereavement, and lost their job, an illness. We heard about infertility and, and childlessness, and disability, addictions. All of us can fill in I'm sure more than one blank there. Many things that we've been through in life. And these experiences can become a resource if we, uh, to come alongside other people. Just as Christ has come alongside us in these things. And he's strengthened us. He's given us understanding. He's built us up. He's, he's given us this consolation, this love and care. And brought us through these things. Where would we be without him? 
how painful and how difficult without the love of Christ, without God walking with us and now walking with him and finding wisdom and understanding in all of these things. And they become a gift that God uses through us towards other people. You know, if we allowed God to release the gift that every single one of us has, the experiences that we've all had, if that gift was allowed to be released to other people, our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our work colleagues, or whoever it might be, think of the, the years of experience are in this room. Look at the back row, just a section here. You know, we're talking maybe, what, a a thousand years of experience? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You will sit on the back row. (laughs) Paul, in his letter, uh, letter, speaks of two good things for building up the church. And they demonstrate that there's life in the church, not just dusty old religion. And both should be present and active in the church, and both are... Uh, are very good, but one is better and more lasting, he says, than the other. And of course, he's speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and of love. He goes on to say that love never fails, and love continues for all eternity. You know, the gifts of the Spirit aren't a sign of your spiritual maturity. They are called spiritual gifts because they're just that. They're gifts of the Spirit. They're from Him. And they come from the Holy Spirit, not from our maturity. Isn't that wonderful? And a baby Christian who's sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying can hear and receive and give out of the Holy Spirit. What a gift to the church. And the Holy Spirit's work goes deeper When that vision is given out or that prophetic word's given out, the Holy Spirit takes that word and he does something in our hearts and in our lives and transforms us and he moves us and and we become different people shaped by the power and the working of God in our lives. Speaking right into our situations, we can walk into a, a church, into a fellowship and then God speaks into our situation. We've been struggling with something for maybe a long, long time. And we're broken and needing an answer from God. And then the Holy Spirit speaks from a little infant in Christ. Because the Holy Spirit's moving. And he moves your world and he moves my world. You see, God doesn't just want us to do certain things. He wants us to become a certain type of person. The nature of Jesus formed in us. We become the message. And it's what we are. And not simply what we do or what we we say. Do we want to be used by God? Thank you. I should should hope so. We, We all want to be used, don't we, by God. But better still, do we want to be the person who's of continual use to him? You know, God used a lot of people in the Bible, didn't he? He used King Saul, Samson, Solomon... Balaam. All of them were used for a time, but they represent something that's not really satisfactory to us. Saul was a temporary king, and Balaam was a temporary prophet. All of them were used by God, 
but just look at their lives. And it's clear that what matters isn't just their words, but it's the person themselves. Jesus, quoted uh, when he quoted Isaiah, didn't say the prophecy of Isaiah. He said the prophet Isaiah. People didn't just dismiss the prophecies. They dismissed the prophet. And Jesus put a lot of emphasis on the person rather than the gifts that they used. The need is for people that God can use. And what a, what a shame it is when we uh, help people with our gifts but then cause them to stumble with our life. God wants to form us and deposit something in us of infinite value. If we're to be ministers of life, there has to be a work of death, the cross. I don't know about you, the number of times that you've got before God and you've said, Lord, I love you. I trust you. I worship you. I lay down my life to you. I just don't understand what's going on. But Lord, thy will be done. As we release worship to God, as we release the reality of our situations and our circumstances and our life and our brokenness to God, then God comes and does a deep work in all of our lives. The life of Christ is, is something that just can't be faked or simulated. We know when something's alive. Just look at a rabbit or an animal or a dog or whatever it is you think about. We know a living thing. It lives, it breathes, it moves in a certain way. It's not controlled, contrived. It's not false in any way. We know it's alive. You look at a robot and it's just... There's a big difference between that which is real and that which is put on. Is there life in me? What is real will show, and what's false is going to show. I want the real thing, folks. I, I want Christ to be formed in me. I want to be transformed by him, but it takes a walk with God, and not just doing religion. The resource of the journey isn't so much what you have been through as much as what God has formed in you along the way. And now I just want to walk and uh, talk a little bit about the process of this journey. Now, many of you have heard the, uh, the quote from Forrest Gump. My mama always said, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know just what you're going to get. And isn't that true? In the Greek, you know, hard times uh, that are used in, uh, the word hard times uh, that are used in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verses one, uh, 1, verses 3 to 5. It means pressing, uh, squeezing, or pressure. It, uh, it refers to struggles and refers to uh, the things that we go through. In um, uh, John 16, uh, Jesus refers to ch uh, childbirth and uh, the illustration of, uh, of how the struggle, out of that struggle comes new life. And... Uh, you know, Jill said to me, she said, uh, you know, childbirth is such a, well, was such a wonderful experience. I was there. <laughs> it looked very painful to me. <laughs> but I know exactly what she meant. What she meant was that the struggle is soon forgotten with the overwhelming joy of new life. 
And the struggle's worth it, folks. The hardships and the difficulties and the things that all of us go through is worth it when God comes in and transforms us and there's new life. And it's this new life that we share with others as we walk with them. The word paraclesis, coming back to that word, means also consolation. First time it's used uh, or mentioned in the New Testament, it's actually about consolation. It says Mary and Joseph, um, when they present Jesus at the temple, a, a man called Simeon was there. And the scripture says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Paul said, our consolation abounds through Christ in 2 Corinthians. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, the one who comes alongside. Consolation means to bring calm, uh, peace, easing the, uh, and soothing hurt and finding rest and giving hope. The opposite of uh, consolation is disconsolation. It's an old-fashioned word for being depressed. Uh, it has to do with loss and grief and sorrow and disappointment and failure and hopelessness. But we console the sad, the bereaved, the heartbroken, the distressed, the dejected, the disconsolate, the disillusioned, and the downcast. The Emmaus Road is, is a model a pattern for journeying Jesus' style. He connects with their story. He's interested in their conversation, and he wants to hear about what's going on. And Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus could have talked for that four or, three or four-hour journey for all seven miles of it. He could have talked all the way. And believe me, we would have loved to have heard him talk all the way as well. So Jesus, tell me about what it's like down there. Jesus, tell, what's this body of yours like? Can you actually go through walls? Can you just sort of appear and dis... What's going on? The number of questions and things we'd love to hear Jesus talk about, all those unanswered questions, so many things. We would have been totally wrapped just listening to Jesus talk constantly all the way. And you know, you and I might have the most incredible story in the world, but journeying in together is an opportunity to enter into somebody else's story. Jesus already knew what had been going on in their lives, but he wanted them to express their point of view. And he approaches them, becoming part of their journey. He doesn't barge in. You know, he could have just sort of done a Superman routine and landed and said, here I am, raised from the dead. It's Jesus here. Can you tell? Yeah, absolutely. And he could have done that, but he doesn't do that. He comes alongside, and this is exactly what he does in our lives. He walks with us. He, he hears our story. He wants to hear all of our burdens. He wants us to hear and have a us have a conversation with him. You know, and you can learn a lot about how people enter into and participate in a conversation, can't you? The, the self-centered person who barges in and hijacks and dominates and sabotages and controls the conversation. They want to tell you about all about themselves and their journey and things that they have and all the rest of it but you know journeying with other people 50% if you like possibly even more is just being there just being there for people and then listening and hearing what they have to say there's a fascinating progression if you like in this journey of understanding they set out in confusion ignorant not knowing that Jesus is alive and on the way 
They expressed their unbelief and their doubting hearts. And, and the, despite the scriptures, they can't take in the truth of what's actually happened. Then there's this burning heart. And Jesus says, oh, fools, slow of heart to believe. He began to open up the scriptures to them. And they began to understand. And they saw what he said was true. Andrew Murray expresses it this way. He says, as Jesus talked, there came out from him a li the, the living risen one, a mighty influence that rested upon them. And they began to feel their hearts burn within them with joy and gladness. The living one out from him, this risen Christ starts to speak into their hearts and lives. And they start to burn with the life of Christ. This is what happens when we come alive. When we receive of the Holy Spirit, when we walk with people, the life within us, as we start to express that to others, then other people's hearts start to burn within them. And he says, what kind of conversation is this you're having with one another as you walk and are so sad? Help me understand what it is that uh, you're talking about. He notices a deeper thing going on. Can you imagine coming up to somebody and saying, uh, what are you talking about? It wasn't like that, was it? Jesus just draws alongside, hears them, and says, you're looking sad. What's going on? He enters into their story, into their state of mind, into where they're at. He doesn't barge his way in. And likewise, you know, we need to enter into one another's lives and care for one another and say, how's it going? As we come alongside others, we should be warm and genuine and attentive to their story. Jesus could have imposed his understanding on them as soon as he met them. But, you know, we see in this the importance of the journey of, of hearing one another and, and walking with one another. And he connects them. This is the third part the, and the last part of, with the bigger story. Having taken time to understand and feel their pain and show respect, Jesus earns the right to speak. And so he speaks and helps them to face their reality. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. That doesn't mean you're stupid idiots, by the way. It's just, he means you've got a lack of understanding here, and let me help you to understand. His starting point was something that was familiar with them, the hope of the scriptures. All the prophets, he says, he talked them through it all and showed them how through the prophets that Jesus must be crucified, that he must be crucified and die and raised to life. And their hearts just began to realize and burn. You know, when he was going to travel on and go a bit that, that, uh, further on, it says they constrained him. That really means they, they wrestled him. <laughs> they said, you're going nowhere, mate. You're coming with us. And isn't that the way it is? when you're talking to people who you connect with and when you're connecting with, with their story and you're involved with them and you say, no, don't go. I, I want to hear the rest. I want to hear what God is saying. We connect with people in that way. And I just believe this is the way that, that God wants us to connect as well is that we, we walk with people and connect with people's story. And so their hearts burnt within them. And you might have thought that that was the end of it. Their hearts burned, that's it. But they still hadn't had the revelation of the risen Christ. And as he broke bread with them and sat down in that intimate setting of breaking bread, their eyes were opened and they saw. Isn't that fantastic? 
And this is what happens as we walk with the Lord. Veils are, were taken away. I was blind, and I still don't realize how blind I am until I get back in the scriptures, and I didn't see that, and God takes another veil away, another revelation, another truth. I'm so blind, but God enables us to see. And as they realize the risen Christ, what do they do? They don't finish their meal. Jesus disappears from their sight. It says they're so excited they race back to Jerusalem to tell the other disconsolate people, disciples, he's risen. Immediately, with the life they've received, they want to go back and tell other people about this wonderful risen Lord, the hope and expectation that they have. And they raced back with renewed hearts, new life, a spring in their step, a joy and excitement. And they're back where they should be, back in Jerusalem. Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> That's where we want to be. I'm going to finish there, but you know, it's fitting, I think, that we are now going to take uh, bread and wine together. Their eyes were open, opened as they broke bread. And, you know, may our eyes be open to this reality of the risen Jesus daily walking with him, daily allowing him to come alongside us and that we might also come alongside others. So examine your hearts now. We're so grateful, so thankful for all he's done for us. But if you do have anything in your hearts that needs to be just given over to the Lord, if you're in disharmony with another person, then just give that to the Lord and just pray that, that God would just bring a rightness in those relationships and confess them to the Lord. Get right with him. Get your heart settled before God. And let's enjoy this meal together as we partake of the bread and the wine. Remember his death. His body broken for us, our sins totally washed and cleansed through Christ, but also that hope and expectation that we have in him too. The, the musicians are going to come, I think, and just uh, minister to us as well while we take of the bread and the wine. And the team, the ministry team, if you want to come and, and, and do that for us, thanks for that.